0: How many times have you heard that in your life? It's no big deal. It doesn't really matter. It's whatever. Not a big deal. Like, whatever is about to go on, whenever you hear that statement is the beginning of a terrible choice about to be made, guaranteed. As a teenage boy, I would do the most stupidest, dumbest things, and I would say, oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't really matter. And then I'd, like, jump off this huge cliff and, and like, be stupid. And I know I'm not the only one because as a youth, we don't see the actions that we're doing now actually having long-term consequences. So we use this idea of it's no big deal. Like if I could just at this point, at this moment of life, engage in something I think is awesome or fun or amazing and then whatever the ramifications are, that's not going to happen because as a youth we believe we're going to live forever. But you don't. And so I learned about this very early on. Now again, dumb teenage boy would do stupid things, jump off stuff, blow stuff up, you know, Lots of things I should not be, I've got stories, guys, but that's later. But so I would do the dumbest things. I remember the first time I went to shop class as a kid. So shop class in junior high, like some schools don't have them anymore, but back in my day, we would have shop class in junior high school. And shop class was this amazing time of learning how to do woodworking and metalworking, and you got to use really big, powerful, deathly machines, right? So as a little junior high Jason walking in, to this room full of saws and grinders and metal presses and all this stuff. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I mean, and you could just see all of us just staring at this machine. And then the shop teacher spoke. You see these machines? Everyone could kill you. I'm like, how could a grinder kill me? Every one of these will kill you. And then he says, he goes on, if it doesn't kill you, it's going to cut off your fingers in your hand, and you'll have no fingers or hand the rest of your life. Do you want to be handless the rest of your life? You know, I'm like, no, you know. He goes, you see that grinder? That grinder will get the speed, top speed, someone throwing a major league fastball into your best friend's eye, and he will be blind. Do you want to have no hand, and have your best friend be blind for the rest of his life? Then screw around these machines and see what happens. And we all sat there quaking. So now I take my piece of wood. I'm like, I'm afraid to cut my hand. I'm afraid to, you know, I have like this, like this deathly fear of using these machines, but but this is what my shop teacher did. He put and instilled inside of me the fact of consequence. Do something safely, you're going to be okay. Do something the wrong way, there's consequences. And especially at a younger age, we don't think of things like that. Like, this could be such a long-term consequence that when I thought about when I'm 40 years old, I'm like, if I'm 40 years old, I'm almost dead at that point, right? Right? And I'm 40. I'm like, I'm just barely becoming alive. Like we got life to live. But I'm thinking, as a little 13-year-old Jason, like, there's no way this ongoing consequence is really going to bother me. But then again, I did stuff which has ongoing consequences. Story for another day. But we come face to face with that. Our choices that we make have ongoing consequences that a lot of times we don't think about. And what we don't think about is not only can your choices have consequences for you, but your choices can have consequences for people around you. In a selfish, all about me culture, I think about every choice that I'm making in terms of me. It's no big deal, it only affects me. It's no big deal, I'm not hurting anybody. It's no big deal, it's my life. But the truth is, choices that we make sometimes have small ripple effects, sometimes have catastrophic ripple effects. We don't think about that. We don't think about the the idea that the choice we're about to make may send ripple effects that affects generations upon generations. We don't think as a youth the choice that I make might impact my family, my siblings, my grandparents, others. We don't think about that. All we think about is ourselves. So when we think about consequences, yes, Hands can get chopped off, fingers lost, best friend, metal to the eye. But have you ever thought that your choices also set ripple effects that affect others as well? Our way of life with God intersects in the same way. Our way of life with God is God has a purpose for each one of us. And that purpose is to bring life into ourself and to bring life out into the world. When Jesus came, he says, I want to have his kingdom come, will be done. There's a new way of thinking. God's kingdom is different than what the world cares about. And so the ripple effects I'm calling you to is to make choices that change generations for the kingdom of God, which means we turn our attention off of ourselves onto others. But when we don't do that, we start to run. Now, I'm going to speak for myself, and if you feel the same way, that's God talking to you, not me. But let's just pretend that we're in the same mind for a second. When you are making bad choices, do you tend to run from God? Like, when you're making a bad choice, you know you shouldn't be doing it. It's no big deal. No one's going to find out about it. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Do you run towards God or do you run away from him? You're like, oh my gosh, I totally messed up. I'm so excited to read the Bible and pray and be with God and be with other believers and share with others. Hey, I totally messed up this week. I'm so excited. Or do you tend to do the opposite, which is to hide, run, and go sit in the corner? Now, I hide. I'm going to assume from the nods in the room and from everybody who has been in that situation that when you sin, you run. When you make bad choices, you run. When you make choices that you know that aren't the right ones, we run. You ever wonder why? Like, if our choices are no big deal, then why do you run? If your choices only affect you and it's no big deal, it doesn't hurt other people, why do you feel the need that your bad choice has to be hidden? I'll tell you why. Because it is a big deal, your choice does matter, and God actually has a different way for us living. And that's what we're going to explore today in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We're going to be talking about the story of Jonah, who was a prophet of God. And this is a very short book. If you've never read the story of Jonah, fascinating book. It's four chapters long. Dig into it this week. We'll give you the full story. You're going to see a prophet who was not very good at his job. It makes me feel good about myself. At At least I'm not Jonah, uh, but because he makes all these mistakes, he's messing up, but God's grace keeps coming over him over and over again. And the whole story begins with Jonah in the first chapter getting a message from God. We're going to pick up it there. But before we go there, there's an idea that I want you to start thinking about when we get into the idea of Jonah. He is moving, he asked to go speak to a town called Nineveh City. Huge city, it's a great city full of sin. They're known for absolute debauchery. They're known for wickedness. They're known for being very evil people. They're torturous people. They took pride in what they did that would get people to fear them. They wanted everyone to be afraid of the army and the people of Nineveh. And James Bruckner says this in the NIV application commentary. The Assyrian kings were proud of their cruel and terrible reputation and went to great trouble and expense to record their exploits for posterity. They wanted the world to know that they were terrible, evil humans. So this isn't just like, ah, they're kind of a bad group of people. These people want you to know that they are wicked, evil people. Okay? So now we've got our prophet Jonah, and he's now going to go into this place and tell them that God wants them to repent. Now that is like, I mean, let's just put this for a second. Like, that, imagine the idea of you going into a dark wicked, evil place, something that's even hard to imagine right now. But think of how dark and evil, like they just want to torture you and kill you and maim you and put your hand in the grinder. Like this is a bad group of people. And you're going to come say, hey, God told me to tell y'all you are terrible. You should repent. And yeah, that's what Jonah was supposed to do. And, and Jonah isn't exactly excited about that because God is offering grace to a terrible, terrible, terrible group of people. So let's just talk about the grace wheel for a second. Grace is this thing in which we sometimes hear about it but don't quite understand. Grace is you mess up, you make mistakes, and you are off the hook. Grace is there's nothing you can earn to receive that off the hook status. It's just offered to you, and God gives us as a free gift. So grace is being offered to this terrible group of people. But as we sit here today, we all have our level of grace. Our level of grace is, well, those people deserve grace, but maybe those people don't. So let's throw a couple of lists out here. Tell me when you start to think maybe grace should not be allowed. Mother Teresa, she's messed up. She made mistakes in her life, right? But she served everybody. She helped the poor. She gave her life for the kingdom. I mean, Mother Teresa, I mean, she's a saint. I mean, she's like an amazing human being who lo- but man, she messed up. So we'll give her grace. But then there's that bully from school. So the bully in your high school, your middle school, who made your life miserable, made fun of you, you hate going to school every day, maybe you're in the middle of that right now still. Think of the bully from school. They're pretty bad people, usually, like, oh, they're a bully, they're no good. But they're human, right? And if you've grown up, you're like, okay, we were just kids. If you're in the middle of it, like, no grace, like, Lord, no grace for that person. But the bully from school hurt you personally personally. And some of you still have scars by it and may not have forgiven that person yet. So there might be something inside of you that says, Yeah, forgive them, but they affected me forever. What about the person who really, really hurt you? An ex spouse, a boss, someone, maybe even your parent, maybe you were abused. Should grace be given to those people? Now we're going a level deeper. That person really impacted your life. That person did so much damage inside that you, sometimes it's hard to breathe. Should there be grace offered to that person? Let's go to the next step and move out a little bit further, Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer, for those of us who remember back the time, was a person from Milwaukee who would uh, murder and then actually consume the people that he killed. And he was like this mass murderer, I mean, world-renowned, terrible, terrible actions done by this man. Does he deserve grace? Like, should we forgive him? Should God forgive him for what he did? Let's go a step further. Let's go to Adolf Hitler. So Adolf Hitler, one of the cruelest, I mean, genocide of millions and millions of innocent people. War, a war is focused. All the people that died because of this man's idea that there should be one race and no other race should exist. This man had So many innocent children, women, men, young, old, were murdered because of his decisions. Should he be given grace? Where does your level start to struggle on your grace level? For me, it's the fourth one. When I start getting into the Dahmers and like, oh boy, I start to kind of grind a little bit and say, like, if he really would repent or... What if Adolf Hitler repented before he died? Like, should God offer Adolf Hitler grace? I start to grind. Like, in my head, like, yeah, because Jason's preaching about it. We probably should be answers, yes. But, like, if we're honest, you're laughing because you know it's true. (laughs) Inside, you're grinding a little bit. Like, I don't know. And I struggle with that idea that grace would be offered to such terrible human beings. That was Nineveh. Jonah now has to enter into a group of terrible, terrible human beings in which his grace meter can't be there at that point. And he makes the decision, I can't do it. Because they're the bad guys. Now, in our lives, we always put the good guys against the bad guys. We like the stories of good guys versus bad guys. And in this story, Jonah's the good guy, Nineveh's the bad guys, right? Good guy, bad guy. And in your life, when you make up a story, have you ever noticed in your stories, whenever somebody does something bad to you, you're always the good guy? How often are you the bad guy of the story when you mess up in, people's, in your life, right? Like, no, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy. And what that does is it creates a division among people that causes pain and struggle. It makes people seem as not human. If I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy, you're my enemy, I can point you out, And you're easy. I don't have to give you grace. You're my enemy. I'm here to thwart you. But if I see people as image bearers of God, fallen and broken like me, all of a sudden the idea of grace shifts. All of a sudden the idea of grace now becomes, they're just like me. They struggle like me. But are you comfortable saying that Adolf Hitler struggles like you and she deserve the same grace that you do. I don't. I don't like that. I, don't, I mean, God can do it. I'm not, right? Like, I'm grinding with that thought of how can grace be offered up to somebody who's done such terrible things? So Jonah starts to get this idea that I'm not to be a part of this. I don't want to be a part of this. And this is the story of Jonah as begins in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made this sea in the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging seas grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah really did not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah thought that this is too much. Like, there's no way I'm going there. So instead of actually going and doing what God asked him to do and called him to do, he says, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to run away from God. And I'm going to run away from God, not just like next door. Like, I'm going to go extremely far away. Tarshish was a Phoenician city in the southern part of Spain, just west of the Gibraltar. And though they're not talking about the fare that was involved, it would have been expensive. This is not a cheap, I was going to say flight. They don't fly back then. A cheap row on the ship, right? This is not going to be a cheap trip. He had to pay a lot to get onto this fair. So his first bad decision leads to this. He's paying a lot of money to run away from God. Starts right there. I don't want to do what he's saying to. They don't deserve grace. They're the bad guys. I'm the good guys. I'm not a part of this. I'm out. So he pays a lot of money to get out of there. So if you don't know this, this is the lesson of the day. You can't run from God. So God, he gets on this boat, and they're going, and he sends this storm. Now, if you know anything about the New Testament and Jesus, which is really cool, there's some really cool parallels between Jesus and Jonah, that Jesus is involved in a crazy storm on the sea, and everybody was freaking out, and Jesus was asleep on the boat, just like Jonah was asleep on the boat, which is some really cool parallels, but Jesus can calm the storm. And so now, these guys are freaking out. This storm is going all over. They don't know what to do, and so they're praying to their gods. Now, this is probably a mixed crew from different areas. They've got all these different gods, and they're praying to this god and that god and this god. Nothing's happening. God of nature, God of storms, they're praying aloud, and nothing's happening. And Jonah is taking a nap. Now, I don't know why he's taking a nap. I don't know how he went into this nap. But let's just say this. That dude was sleeping when everyone else was dying. This dude is sleeping when the ship is breaking apart. People are screaming running around. It's like, I'm cool. It's not my problem. Like, he's laying on the bottom of this boat sleeping. Did he not care? Was there not concern? Was he really tired? Was he tired of running from God? Did God put him in a deep sleep? We don't know, but he was sleeping. So he's sleeping in the bottom of his boat, and they come up to him and like, okay, you need to wake up and pray to your God, dude, because our gods aren't working Pray to your God, whatever God you have, pray to him, because maybe we can get out of this. Now, there's something not said in this passage, but I'm going to just put a little bit of Jasonism on here. From you need to pray to your God, it now moves to they cast lots to figure out who did it. We're going to assume Jonah did not pray to his God, because it would have said Jonah prayed to his God and the storm ceased, or Jonah prayed to his God and he said, God's telling me to throw myself in over the sea. We don't see that. Jonah is told to pray to his God. All of a sudden, they're casting lots. Think of like, kind of like rolling dice and lucky numbers type thing. They're just letting chance fall to who this person is. And even God controls chance because how the lots fell, it's not our fault, it's that dude's fault. The guy who's sitting there sleeping down there, not praying to our God, and we're all about to die bad decisions matter his decisions along the way continue to cause more problems his decisions as he's making these decisions are moving this entire story along into a way that he is now affecting the lives of these sailors because as their boats breaking apart and everything they're taking all of their goods probably a cargo boat of some sort or they're transporting merchants They have stuff that's valuable that they're dumping into the sea because if they don't, their ship is going to sink. Now the sailors are affected by this guy because now they're losing all their money. Like, who brought this guy in this boat, right? Like, So now they're dumping all their stuff off into the sea. They've lost their cargo. Their ship is breaking apart, and they find out it's Jonah. Who are you? And they just start, who are you? Where are you from? What are your people? Like, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God of all creation. He just kind of puts his head down, right? But this is the beautiful part of the story. When they ask, what did he do? His redemption story begins. They, he shared that he's running from his God. He, they already knew that according to the passage, but, but the sea is not calm yet. And so they say, okay, we're going to do everything we can to try to row back to shore. So let's just think about a hurricane now. This ship, they're trying to row this thing back to shore, and it is going nowhere. In fact, they're going in the opposite direction. So the positive part of this story of like, okay, maybe we can just get back to shore. It's not happening. God is a God of all control of creation. And he's like, nope, wind, right? And so so it's going the wrong way. Why? What? Why? Do you think Jonah deserves some grace right now from the Lord God? Wait, wait, no, no, no. But, but, but the people of Nineveh are way, those are the bad guys, I'm the good guy. God should just make this all stop, but it's not happening. Right now, we've got Jonah, we've got these people trying to roll back, it's not happening. He's like, okay, okay, it's me, it's me. So just do this, um, I want you to throw me into the sea, and I'm willing to give my life for the rest of you guys, like this isn't your fault. And like a switch happens. He stopped running from God and now he knew it was his God. So, when you've been in a situation when you've been running, when you're in a situation when you're living purposely foul, when you're living in those times where you know that things aren't right, like, is there a moment that you've ever been like, okay, God, I, I got it? I got the lesson. Because he tried everything. He had first of all spent how much of his bank account. Second of all, these poor sailors like get off our boat, right? Like they've had to throw all of their stuff overboard. They didn't want to murder this man. They knew if they threw him to sea, the guy's dead. He's like, nah, man, it's me, it's me. So he says, this throw me into the water. Now, that's a bold move. He has no idea what the results are going to be. He has no idea what's about to happen but he accepted the responsibility of the fact of he had messed up. This whole story, this whole time, his decisions are leading to one bad choice, to another bad choice, to another bad choice. At some point, when you're making bad choices, don't you just get so sick of them? You're like, I'm just done. I'm so tired of fighting. I'm so exhausted of all these bad choices. I'm so tired of the consequences. I'm so tired. I just... I'm done. And that's where he was. I'm just done. Jonah starts the story with God saying, hey, I want you to go and be a messenger of love and of hope and of peace to a group of people who need it right now. I want you to be the advocate of love. I want you to tell them that I love them and that they can repent. And he said, no. That's how the story begins. And he says, No. And there's a string of consequence. So let's just put this in the year 2020, um, which is hopefully never written in any record books ever. Like, let's just take 2020. Right now, in all the calamity and all the pain and all the struggle, everything that's going on in our world, is God calling you to be an advocate of hope? And are you running from it? Because our world is so desperate for people who have the hope of Jesus Christ to speak love, to speak hope, to speak restoration into the world, are we doing it or are we running from what God's called you to? Like not everyone has to be a prophet. Not everyone has to be a pastor or like a, a someone who's like a staff member of a church to think that God doesn't call you to things. God calls you to things. And are you running from what God is calling you to? Now, I've been doing Jesus in my life for some time. I've run and God has sent me Overboard. That's all you need to know. When God has asked you, I'm not doing that, God. I've been chucked over. And I have had lines of bad decisions that have affected and hurt other people pretty much from the time I can start remembering. And the closer I get to Jesus, I say, I'm so tired of this. Bad decision leads to bad decision. I want to stop doing it. I'm trying to pull it out of my life. And that's where Jesus and the Holy Spirit come in. The other side of it is that if you don't do that, you don't want that. The bad decision leads to the bad decision leads to the bad decision. Guess who's in my office crying on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays? Saturday I take off. Who are the people who are saying, I can't believe this is happening to me. Why would God let this happen to me? And I don't ask this question, but maybe it's a good question to ask. Are you running from something God has for you? Or what decision did you make that led to this? Because there's a pattern here that we see in our human life. Bad decisions cascade into worse decisions. But when I get closer to the Lord and I'm living my life with Him and I'm walking step with my King, all of a sudden my bad decisions get less because my decisions are based on what He wants. So it's not about religion or going to church or all that kind of stuff. We're talking about how I live my life transforms others. The decision to plant a church is affecting all of you right now. Think about that. What if I said no, which I did? That was part of my get thrown out of the shit moment. What if this didn't happen? What if this decision wasn't here for our church, our community, and the world? God's doing super cool, amazing things. We're in the middle of a new building where we got all this stuff going on, a permanent location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if? What if the founding families said, no, we're not going to be a part of a church plan? What if those decisions are affecting you all today? And this isn't because we're special. or and This is just one story. I want to encourage you, your decisions that you make for the kingdom leave ripples that transform lives. The decisions you do not make for the kingdom leave ripples that transform lives negatively. And here Jonah has an opportunity to go into a city and say, God loves you, you can be forgiven. And he says, I'm out, deuces. He gets on a boat, he runs. God says, you're not going to run from me. The storms are coming, they're terrifying. People's lives are at stake, sailors are gonna die, merchants, all this stuff is being lost, Jonah's gonna die, and so Jonah says throw me in. I'll take my life if you save theirs. So they throw him in the water. Now, we don't know exactly what transpires after this, but as you move into the next chapter, Jonah starts actually a prayer to God. And in this prayer to God, he's it's like a poem. He's talking about like how the seaweed was entangling him and like all this stuff is going on. This wasn't like bloop bloop like there was something there. I love water. I'm a water guy. I love jet skiing, I love fishing, I love boating. I love being in the water, but if you've ever had the experience of near drowning, it's terrifying. If you've had that experience or been in those situations, let me tell you, it's terrifying. I was in San Diego, and uh, being you know from the Midwest, of course, right away I can I can be on the sea, like I'm cool, right? So I was in San Diego, and I got a boogie board. I couldn't surf. Because I'm not that good, but I'm like, I can boogie board, right? Like, and there's big waves coming over. And, you know, I started out small, and I saw the big waves were out, and I saw all the surfers out there. And I said, okay, that's, that's where I'm going. So I kick my little paddleboard out there. I'm like, what's up? What's up? What's up, y'all? You know, trying to act like Californian. More like, suh, right? So I, I'm out there with these guys, and, they, and, and they're just kind of looking at me and trying to figure out how to do stuff, and this wave comes. And I'm like, yeah. Now, boogie boarding is not that difficult. You lay on it. You just ride this thing. It's not a hard thing. It's super fun. I do encourage it, but don't do what I just did. So I'm on this thing, and I caught it wrong, and it brought me in, and another wave came over and went over the top, and I'm now going to explain to you 45 seconds of terror because now I get ripped into this rip curl, and I'm spinning, and I have no idea which way is up, and I remember looking, gasping, and everything is dark light, dark light. I'm rolling in water, rolling, and as I start to find, okay, kick, kick, kick to the top, another one came, and I'm back over again, over and over again. I'm just this rolling ball of up, down, left, right. I had no idea which way I was going. It was terrifying. I thought for sure I was dead. There's no way I was going to survive this, but again, God's graceful to me, and so for some reason only by the Lord, I was able to just kick as hard as I can and pop to the top and breathe. And that first time I took that breath was one of the most miraculous things. When you think you're going to die and drown and to take a breath is unbelievable. And then you start making all these, God, I'll never do this again. I'll never do this. Like you start making, I'll never eat chips and dip and you know, like, whatever. Like, like you start making all these promises because now I have that fresh breath of life. Like I'm not going to die I got on the board and I kicked back to shore and to put my feet back on dry land. What that felt like to know that I was safe. Jonah's in this sea in the middle of this storm. The storm stops, but he's sinking. And God brings this fish, whoop, and swallows him whole. Now, there's stories of whales and big fish and all these different things. We have no idea. This is what we know. This dude lived in there for three days. He lived in the stomach of a fish. God put a man inside of a stomach of a fish for three days. Can I suggest you don't run from God, okay? Because now he's sitting in there. It's pitch black. No light. Sounds. Fear. Thinking about what you did. I'm dead. I'm dead? Like, Does he know God sent a great fish to swallow him? Did he just think a shark ate him? You guys ever watch Shark Week, man? It's terrifying what's going on, Shark Week. But he's inside of this fish, and he's sitting there, and he's what do you have left for three days but your thoughts? Silence. As you read on in the book of Jonah, he goes to prayer. He repents. He goes back to say, you, God, you're the great one. I'm not. And then my favorite part of the whole story, three days later, (laughs) huh? The fish chucks him up right onto dry land. He throws up a man onto dry land. Now, I want to know how he got that close. Like, kind of like, he got, and then kind of went back. I don't know. But those are all fun stories. But this fish, inside of this belly of this fish, Jonah had a change of heart. He had a change of heart on the boat, and he started to realize what he'd done. And now he says, okay, okay. He gets up on dry land, and he takes to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh. And as the story continues... The entire city repents. All of these evil people repent. They turn from their way, and say, We will not be violent anymore. That's not the way we're going to live. We're going to worship the Lord God Almighty who's merciful because God was going to blow up the city if they did not repent. And they said, No, this is the one true God. And now Jonah, as you read in the story later, gets mad about it. He is frustrated that God would have that kind of grace and mercy on such a terrible group of people. But let's go to our scale of who's bad and who's good. Jonah did a whole lot of bad stuff, but he's okay being forgiven. But these people aren't. Friends, this is not how our God works. There is no scale. Grace is grace is grace. Grace is given to every single one who calls out and asks for it. Grace is given for those who turn, repent and turn from their ways. Because when you repent from something, you now move in a new direction. That new direction, the consequences, the waves, however you want to talk about it, the new life has a different trajectory. But what if Jonah would have died on the ship? Would Nineveh have been saved? Would God have sent somebody else? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this. God uses all things for his glory. And that includes storms. Storms are terrifying Storms leave us feeling vulnerable. Storms make us feel like we aren't in control. Storms are in our lives. We are in the middle of a monster hurricane as a society in a storm. Then there's your individual storms. And all of these things can be used. What is God saying to us in the middle of all this? I know the story of the Bible. Whenever there's storms, repent. If we're going to ask a question, what's happening in America? Repent. Turn back to God. Turn back to the king. Let's not leave him out of our lives. Come back to him. Repent. What would it look like if we all repented like Nineveh? What would America look like? Let's just get small. What would Washington County look like if we repented? What would Wisconsin look like if the entire state repented? And maybe we're the Jonahs that are supposed to say it. Maybe God's calling us to ignite a movement of radical love that transforms our community and our world. That's our vision statement. It's why we started a church, was to be the ones to go to people who don't feel they have God's grace, don't deserve God's grace. We plunge headfirst into Nineveh and say, God loves you. So today, if you feel like I'm the guy or the girl in Nineveh, God's grace is sufficient for you. If you feel like you're Jonah running from God, God His grace is sufficient for you. If you feel like you're the sailor on the ship and you're stuck with someone who's about to take you down, like the storms are coming, God, get this guy out of the boat. God has grace for you. God's grace is not on a list. It's given freely for everybody. And that is the beauty of our King. So now my question to you is, what choices are you making today that are leaving waves both in your life and others? Let today be the day that begins something new, that starts a new wave of bringing love, hope, peace, joy into our world. Let us be advocates of the gospel both here and afar so that we can be the ones that bring love. If not, I wouldn't go swimming anytime soon on Lake Michigan. God has fish in our lives that are acts of grace. God has storms in our life that are acts of grace. God put things in our life to bring us back to what he's called us to, which is to be his children on mission for him to transform the world. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering.